Hello and welcome back to Future Prairie Radio, where marginalized artists explore the future through the lens of the arts, humanities, and culture. I'm your host, Joni Whitworth. This is season five, episode 15, Seeing You, Seeing Me, with Mamie Takahashi. Mamie is an artist from Tokyo, now living in Portland, Oregon. Using photography, performance, installation, and urban intervention to explore being Asian and being a woman living outside of her home country. She's working towards US citizenship, and some of her recent artworks have been exploring those awkward feelings of being a non-native English speaker while grappling with these complex meanings of becoming an American and being a foreigner. Since 2014, she's been working on a project called Seeing You, Seeing Me, where she hides her body in this little mirrored dome she built and then walks around town having intentionally awkward interactions with strangers on the street. The video work documents responses from both sides of these unusual situations she creates. And she describes this paradoxical sense of invisibility and hyper-visibility that Japanese women experience. During the pandemic, these feelings were heightened as hate crimes against Asian women increased. She's been exploring that more, making more work about it, and now she is actually headed out to conduct research at some Japanese internment camps in America to delve further into these themes and these feelings. Her work is pretty incredible. I hope you get a chance to check out the dome. You can look up pictures and video of it on her website, which is mamitakahashi.art. That's M-A-M-I-T-A-K-A-H-A-S-H-I.art. And I can't wait for you to hear from her. Here's Mamie. My name is Mamie Takahashi. I am Shihar pronouns. I am multidisciplinary artist. So multidisciplinary meaning like I have um, idea first, then thinking what kind of method I'm gonna or discipline I'm gonna use. That's the one side of me. Also in the way that my BFA education is very traditional Japanese painting in Japan and in my family history or female artist. And we went to our all like a feminist art college for <laughs> decades and decades uh, since my great, 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 great grandma was the supporter for feminism movement in Japan. In the way I do some like a traditional art that can be applied to our, uh, social issues around me. So like sometimes people see my discipline, so not all, but more, you know, sometimes see like traditional method, but using for social issues here. But my major artistic practice is very contemporary. I moved here for artistic opportunities and educations. And then that's how I think I believe my life going to be. Like if there's another opportunity as artist or like 
affiliated job. If there is a chance, I'm gonna move. Even in Japan, I moved for opportunities to make my world open, like wider, and then see more、um, things I didn't know. So, like, I didn't choose because of comfortability,、mm. <laughs> you know, something like that. Why I was living in Japan, I had a lot of travel, and that's all like research trip tour, different places for artists as art. My Basic curiosity too. Also, like I didn't choose Portland because I didn't know about Portland at all. Actually, I only know that I thought like Oregon is more like just forest. So I didn't know about Portland, but I know that there's a school <laughs> there. In the way, I chose to move here because there's a chance for me to grow more as an artist. After BFA, I worked as teacher or working at the museum in Japan, and and then started having a kind of questions about the discipline I learned, which is Japanese traditional painting. I felt some limitation there that I'm not sure this discipline is the way that I can fully express my think in you know, thinking about the way I can address. The current social issues, because it's thousand years of traditions, and then heavy on the history, and heavy on the original way of doing it. So for you know ten years, I was thinking about that, and then finally decided to go into contemporary art study. Contemporary art practice is not strong in Japan, so I decided to. Looking for MFA in Europe and US, of course I needed financial support. But not many school has a financial aid or scholarship for foreigners. These scholarships or or fundings are made for citizens who are green card in a permanent residency people. So I applied some sort of you know support for foreign students. So then I applied multiple schools in the U.S. and Europe, and then final decision I made: Portland State University. They're the people who gave me an answer within 24 hours, and the other schools took us three weeks to、mm. reply. And I know, like, my English was not great, but moving to foreign country. Made me very nervous. So compared to these other schools, PSU is not really noticeable as prestigious. But I need it because I don't have any families or any friends who I can rely on in this country. So like school <laughs> need to be my body. <laughs> From my experience in Portland, came seeing me, seeing you, project, because at the Arizona States, my classmates are all foreigners. Everybody's English are not perfect, so I didn't feel so much isolations, because we didn't go to our regular academic classes just for English classes for foreigners. But then after that, I moved to here, and then in MFA program. My year, I was only like non-white student and foreigner student. I don't think 
foreign students come to our MFA there is very not common. They have, of course, Asian students, but they're like Asian Americans who speaks English as a in the first language. So I had a, like a very tough time, and I didn't know at jargons in U.S. and I didn't have a strong contemporary art history background, and then like art history in terms of U.S. perspective, which is dominant in the world. But I didn't have that, so I couldn't talk because of lack of knowledge, also like English yeah. <laughs> barriers. So in the program, I felt like I was a loser because, mm. you know, you know, big white dude, they speak like, you know, very big. And then like, I don't understand half of them. It's not because English, because how they talk and they didn't get the nuance of the language. And then like when they asked me questions, I couldn't answer. And it seems like I'm stupid. But I had ambitions that I want to do experiment and I do, you know, one day <laughs> I'm going to go through this, but uh, couldn't say that. So start from like, I want to hide behind something in the critique. But I can't. But how about if I make some like divider that around me that I can see some, but they cannot see me. And if I show up that in the critique, how's that? You know, just thinking that kind of like little like upset, you know, and the revenge feeling, like a revenge. But it's like in the way that from my real feelings. But then, of course, I didn't do for the critique. So I had a one friend, a white female friend from uh, in the MFA. Uh, she helped me for constructed because I'm from 2D, like a painting practice. So I didn't have any like idea how to construct that kind of thing, the carryable. So, but she helped me. And then so I use fluff hoop, the plastic fluff hoop. So like that's kind of like uh, the size of the dimension of the bottom and has like a kind of like half egg shape dome that's covered from my head to like a upper body, yeah, waist. Of course, arms going inside of it. So like for people passing by, looks like half like um, metallic egg shaped things with legs coming out, walking around or sitting on a bench in the park. So something like that. What I did is I made the two-way mirror film dome, or one-way mirror film, so I can see, but from outside, because lights you know, reflect, very hard to see who is in there. And then I start finding, like, when I going out, my friend from the program very encouraged me to go more farther and farther from campus. And then I went to a food cart, and I went to, like, a, you know, the park, and then, she started taking photographs of me. I feel like weirdly very comfortable being there because people looking at me, Only people look at me if, when I start speaking because accent, you know, people look at me like something strange for English. I don't think they look at me as Asian because it's not rare, but if somebody's speaking weird English, People look at me same way that they look at the dorm, but they can't tell 
who is it. So I have a like power in the way. I don't give much information or identity information, but I can get their information. Who they are, it's basically race and height, body shape, how they look, yeah. people or body gestures. Yeah. So that's for me like, huh, this is very comfortable. Seeing me, seeing you capsule now is for multiple people participatory project. And I asked a couple of people I met for, do you want to be in the dorm with me and walking around? And then this is basically start with my like isolation as immigrant. And then some of them actually like an immigrant too, like a new immigrant, like me. Some of them are American who has a, whose partners are like immigrant and still struggle for their own country's immigration system as a spouse. So like sometimes American person who feel like isolation themselves, and that's fine. Like we were in the dorm together. <laughs> I had only two or three people's um, maximum because I have to construct a dorm. So we met, you know, we talk and we walking around in public spaces and then somebody documented that. And I also have like phone inside of my dorm to taking video for the people who talk to us. So that's made me to think about how can I capture the feelings more? Because the photograph looks kind of cute, you know, comical. But if I have an audio, it might be adding some juxtaposing or like cute or comical, funny image, but the audio is talking about immigration or something. But then, I've been thinking like always my practice, how can I make one project to be broader to other people? Like uh, this piece is only immigrants, but everybody's ancestors here are immigrants, right? Most of native people, in, especially for Pacific Northwest, their parts of families are white and meeting immigrant. So like most of, I can say, um, Native Americans here, their parts of families are white and then their you know, ancestors are immigrant. So like everybody's basic immigrants. Yeah. So like how can I have this in, into a project? So I invited anybody who doesn't identify as immigrants, but their ancestors are. But how the sound works, if we're only talking about immigrations, people take it just as new immigrants. But if I make a little bit more soundscape or sound collage, that makes more wider and you know, broader for feeling about what we talk. So that's the idea. So like if I'm going to collect some sound and making sound collage and then play while, you know, for the exhibition or something, like if I have a documentation of the, you know, picture and a video and have a dorm hanging from the ceiling and if I have a sound collage, that makes probably more interesting. And then also thinking like, a, is it possible to collaborate with people in distance because of COVID-19? So I had like a chance to have like sound recording project with people in Austin, Texas. At the same time of West Coast, we decided to make a one minute recording of the day. And then we just gather and I made a soundscape. 
If you are in the car and start going somewhere, the sound is fine. But the point is, 11 a.m. together, but it's it's different time zone, right? Yeah. So it's in the way it's not the same, but in the humans' idea of time, it's we are same, right? We had also Zoom talk about their own family experience for immigrations, and then I made a kind of sound collage from it. So most of the interviews or conversations are not there, but I got that little snippets of the sound. And then, you know, why I'm making that, I was thinking like, how much I can make abstract? Like what kind of word makes sense from like a 30 minutes talk or like a bunch of like a journals? What parts of audio makes stronger? I don't have to use all. Kind of good example is like Steve Lake, the um, experimental sound artist in 50s, 60s. He was like a John Cage. Uh, Steve Lake's one project is come out and show them. He got the material from like black civil rights movement groups that interview. One guy, black guy, was imprisoned by a white police because he was accused for murder or something. And then this black person in the jail, no, police will kill him in the jail. So what he did is he had a wound on the arm and scar, and he have to open up more to look bloody that the police won't kill him. So what did this come up and show them is long two hours interview about that, but he, the Steve Rake just took, I came out that my wound showed them that I'm weak, I'm not harmful, to make them not to kill me in the jail. And that's tiny bit of two hours interview. Mm. So his piece is like a black guy's voice said, come up and show them, come up and show them, come up and show them, repeating very quickly and they're going to disappear. Like because re-recording for multiple times, replaying multiple times, and they disappear almost like just howling sound. That's a Steve Lake's piece out of interview. So I was thinking like, I know that I don't have to use most of peace, I was thinking like the balance between abstract and literal. So that's the audio for the, this capsule piece started. That piece started as a solo project in 2013 to 14, and then some version of this. Uh, is only like I cover my face. It's you know, not like whole half body, just a piece of two-way mirror film I'm kind of wearing as a mask almost on the face. Mm -hmm. And that version, I did a couple like New York Grand Central stations and have a cafeteria there and have a seat and eat with a mask, something like that. At the time, the tension between the uh, Asian blacks are really not visible in a way. I didn't think much about it. Then after uh, Black Lives Matter, and then also like when the former President Trump said China virus about you know, COVID-19, yeah. some people think that Chinese are the reason for the coronavirus. Yeah. But for people who is for example, Chinese-American was born here. 
they don't have any like strong relationship to their but these people are also targeted. Most of people they can't distinguish, you know, Japanese, Korean, Chinese, Vietnamese or you know, we look alike for outsiders. Mm -hmm. So like I know a lot of people, especially in San Francisco and in New York, had uh, incidents. I had uh, like two incidents that one time I was spit on the street in New York. And then one time I was at the uh, train station in Chicago and a black guy woke up to me and snapped his in hand in front of my face like that to scare me. But basically like, the, the Chicago ones basically wanted to tell me, what you're doing here? This is Black's neighborhood. Because my partner is Black, so I used that station because he lived in the neighborhood. But some people really don't like, you know, feeling invaded, the non-Black invading. And then like Asians are like marked as white, kind of. So it's kind of like uncomfortable. So I didn't think that way because just convenience from his house. But it's kind of like a boss and like I was not, I was not sensitive enough. And then of course this young person, he probably didn't do any physical thing. He just wanted to make sure I understood that. One of the reasons I can think of why happened this is because Asian has been like marketed I think by white in a perspective to be model minority. And a lot of Asian immigrants took that because that's a way to melt into a majority of culture, which, which is a, a white culture, because that's a way like accepted by US. And then a lot of immigrants didn't think about what does it mean, you know, for melting into a culture, but America is not one culture. But many of like immigrants come from monoculture, you know, like Japan is very monoculture, as with China or Korea, and then many like foreign countries are monoculture. America is very like, melting pot, but um, because it's new country, yeah. so I think many people didn't think about what the American culture means. They just took melt in. But of course, that makes black culture to be feeling like, so you are more than minority, we are not. Even like a Latino immigrants, or even, you know, a Nigerian immigrants from Africa. I think a lot of people actually like, look down black American community. That's the way they think they're better at, you know. And then being more the minority and perform it, it is that itself probably take us looking down. And I can see that way, you know. So because in Japan, it's not race by skin color, but we still have a so pretty strong social stratifications. Used to be strong in the uh, class system has been demolished. It is. I forgot, it's nine, early 1900, but remained for longer, mm. same as black here. So mm, most of my public school years, there is, uh, of course, people used to be marked as undercast. They're not anymore legally, 
but it still has an address book. People can get it, a name and address who they, you know, where these people live. And then even monoculture <laughs> have the kind of like class system after demolished the system legally. So like I can see that a lot of culture has it. But here it's more like visible. Yeah, under caste people in Japan, if they moved out in big city, probably they can hide. But for skin huh. colors or visible is different. So I can see why it has a, like Asian hate and from even white culture too, because some white cultures are not, they feel like they're not successful. And they feel like hate towards anybody who is supposed to not success. We should have a better that. But these people steal our owner or something like that, probably. Because my partner actually lives in Chicago, so I have a lot of time spending there. In my feeling, the Chicago's diversity is real every day. You feel every day. If you are in the downtown, you see uh, tons of different skin colors. It's not one dominant. It's almost equally you see black people there, Latino people there, Asian people there. Normally not one dominant and little by little. <laughs> not like that. In reality, here I feel like it's more monoculture in the way. And then try to be nice to other people but for me like in Chicago it's not nice to others it's real I think it's a mix of guilt and then want to be nice to you know want to present a nice person in the history there is a feminism art movement and then there is a gay right in the art movement and then black has been like featured in the exhibitions since 90s, mid-90s. And it's kind of trend in the art scene. So, you know, these trends has been like uh, 10 years or 15 and they change into another, you know, categories and stuff like that. So it's part of this is kind of trend. And of course, New York has more like strong. So. West Coast come like maybe 10 years after (laughs) New York's movement. And also Black Lives Matter and stuff like that accelerated probably. So I have no idea what's next coming up or how this is going to be. Because some of the um, artists I talk here, um, older artists, they think I'm a woman. So like I have been like, you know, like a lord, the men's, but 90% 90% of uh, senior position in the art scenes now everywhere is white females. Since yeah. 60s and 70s women's movement, women's has been, you know, featured and more and more and now it's po- possibly dominant. So what did you do for the last 20 years if you feel like you're not featured? Is it your, maybe the personal things that because the West Coast came late for this movement, but I can see some people still complain about it. And so I can see some 
you know, current community complain like 20 years from now that they didn't have a chance, mm-hmm. you know. So it's these people always probably there, but for big as a movement, I have no idea. A lot of like uh, people think tokenizing the black or indigenous artists, they feel like they're doing a great job. And then the tokenization is very interesting that if it's subjective, they can't tell it's, I'm doing tokenizing it. So it's very like a, from like a, the person's view, it's very hard. So always need a third person's eye towards to it. And then sometimes like it's very hard to tell even because ourselves, we like to ask to be token to be success in the art, right? So this is a chance for people of color to get success to be token. But that's necessary sometimes to make it happening. It's interesting, you know. This episode was sponsored by Oregon Humanities and the Oregon Community Foundation. Written and produced by me, Joni Whitworth, and edited by Callie Day. The music for this episode is by Airfolks. If you have any questions or feedback about the show, please feel free to reach out at any time at futureprairie.com or on social media at Future Prairie Radio. This is our final episode of season five. I hope you enjoyed this season. It's certainly been a ton of fun to make and stay tuned for season six.